1: put the spring back into your step and into your home too shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45 up to 45 off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply
2: wow. oh, drill deep to right field look out a two-run home run for bryce harper and it's 5-0 phillies on top
3: That
4: wasn't when dated, Tom. It was not. That was a tracer. Well, Ray, that has been spring so far, which the Phillies knocking the ball out of park down in Florida. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm very optimistic for the upcoming season. We're going to check in for the first time. New uh, Phillies writer for the Inquirer. Previously for The Athletic, publication that you and I both like, Alex Coffey. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, by the way, at by Alex Coffee, and she joins us this morning. Alex, very nice to talk to you.
5: Thanks for having me on, guys.
4: You bet. Um, let, us start with, uh, let us start with this. Actually, let's start with something, a development from yesterday. The big concern going into camp was uh, Zach Wheeler. And his condition, they wanted to get him some work leading into the season. Yesterday, I know he worked out in the morning. He threw a couple of innings early in the morning in Dunedin. Don't know if you got to see him, uh, whether you did or not. Kind of what's the report on his status and what might we expect there?
5: Yeah, so right now he said that he's still on track to be ready um, by the the first week of the season. Obviously, he's not going to be making the opening day start Um He's a little bit behind um, the, other, the other starters. But, but his goal is still to be back by the, the first week of the season. And he said that yesterday he felt physically fine, just wanted to get some reps in. Um, but one thing to note is that he's probably going to go into the, to his first start of the regular season against the Mets um, without having thrown to live big league hitters. He's not going to be getting in an actual Grapefruit League game down here. Um, because of the rain yesterday, he was, throwing to, he was throwing in a simulation game, so he was just facing some of the Phillies minor league guys. So mm-hmm. um, the caliber of people that he's, he's facing and he'll face um, next week when he throws again in another simulation game will obviously not be the same as, you know, Vladdy, Vladdy Jr. or whoever he would have faced uh, yesterday right. if he had made his start. So um, he doesn't seem too concerned about it, but it is definitely atypical. So that's just something to note, but uh, but his goal is still to be ready by
6: that first week of the season. Has uh, Alex has uh, has Joe Girardi talked much about how deep he expects his starters to go once once they start playing the games? Because it's been an unusual spring, and you know they, they guys haven't gotten a whole ton of work. Um, has he talked about how many innings he's expecting his starters to give him once the season starts? Obviously, they'll ramp it up as the season goes along. Yeah. But as we as we get underway here, does are are you thinking? Is is he thinking in terms of five innings? Because he thinking six. What do you th- what do you figure?
5: Yeah. So he hasn't put a firm innings limit on it. Um, I was talking to J.P. Realmuto about this yesterday. His his estimate, and this is just his guess, but he was thinking three or four or four or five. Um, I think the interesting thing to look at is that these guys all go really deep, like relatively speaking, compared to the starters around the rest of the league, they go deeper into games. It's kind of like how they're wired. Um, so, you know, I think it might be <laughs> a challenge to kind of rein them in off the bat. Um, but, but I think somewhere maybe like the four to five range would be my guess, but, um, but already hasn't said, you know, we're going to hold these guys to this, this amount of work early on. I think that they're kind of just you know, keeping an eye on it, and uh, it, it might be a little bit different for each
4: it's guy. Gonna be, it's going to be so odd. Um, and I know, they're. what, are they going to carry, 28 at
6: the start of the year? And, yeah. And, and 16 yeah. pitchers. Apparently. Right. Yeah, anyway, 15, yeah so 16.
5: yesterday he was like, uh, actually I'm thinking 15 pitchers instead, and we're like, that's still a lot of pitchers. <laughs> yeah,
4: 15 pitchers. I don't think they have room in the bullpen. So let's – I want you to kind of project forward. When it, when it returns to some degree of normalcy, which these days is – what, 26 pitchers, 26 uh, players, 13 of whom are pitchers. When it does, how do you, Alex, project the bullpen playing out, kind of start at closer and work backward? What do you see?
5: Just in terms of how they'll perform over the course of the season. Well, who
4: do you think will end up in the role of closer? Who are my setup men? Because I think there are a lot of names there who might be used in different ways. I'm yeah. just kind of I'm curious on how you project it.
5: Yeah, well, the, I think the two names to keep your eye on are Sir Anthony Dominguez and uh, and oh. Knable. They both look great this spring. They're both touching ninety seven already, um, you know, and they've only had a few outings in uh, in Grapefruit League games. So, mm-hmm. and and those are guys that you know they could be used interchangeably in my mind. I mean, that was something that JT said yesterday as well. Was that he he believes that Sir Anthony has the stuff to close if they need him to. So I don't think it's you know they're they're saying right now that Canelo is going to be the closer, but I don't think that it's automatically. You know I think that they could have a little bit of flexibility there if they wanted to. Um, but but yeah, a tool like Sir Anthony, if he's healthy, um, which he says he is right now, um, you know he can be used in a in a ton of different spots, and um, and his stuff looks great. So I think that those are the two guys to keep an eye on in the bullpen for sure, and they can they can be a difference maker. You know I think they really elevate it. From what it
4: was last year, yeah. Listen, a couple of years ago, I mean, before you came to town, and Ray, remember, Sir Anthony, when he came up, looked like he could be something special, and the injuries mm-hmm. just derailed that career. If he, if there's any possibility of him getting back right, that would that would just be such a
6: nice bonus, something, yeah. It, it, I didn't expect it, it really would. And you know, th- this team, you, you just kind of get the feeling that the bullpen's just going to sort itself out over time. I, you know, I don't know that Joe. I don't know that Joe Girardi has a really clear idea right now of exactly how it's going to work out. It's just going to be one of those. Listen, we're going to go into the season, going to use all these guys, and we'll let them def- we'll let them find their roles. You know, <laughs> I, I think that that's kind of the way it is. But I wanted to go back one more one more question on the starting rotation, mm-hmm. Alex. Is mm-hmm. yeah. every time I've seen <clears throat> every time I've seen Aaron Nola this spring. The only thing I've seen are guys hitting balls like 500 feet off them. I mean, is is yeah. is, is anybody getting a little concerned about? Because I've seen references to Joe saying, "Oh, that's yeah, a well, bad pitch," but I thought he threw the ball well. And then the next game, yeah. he gives up two more, and it's, "Oh, I threw the ball well." I mean, is anybody yeah. getting a little concerned about where Aaron Nola is right now?
5: So far, they're not. Um, he is getting hit around a lot. He's about to, he's actually going to start um, today. They're at home against the Tigers, um, so I guess we'll see what he does today. I mean, you know, it's so tricky to read into spring training stuff, you know, so much of it like obviously these games don't matter and everyone's always like take it with a grain of salt. Um but he has been he has been getting hit around a lot. I, I also don't think that they would have made him the opening day starter if they were super super concerned. So, right. you know, um I guess we'll see what he does today, but um but it's not really they don't really seem to be ringing any alarm bells about him just yet. Mm.
4: mm. Well,
5: <laughs> I, I I'm kind
4: of with Ray. Generally, I, I, generally I,
5: speaking, I don't think that they ring the alarm bells, you know, too often around yeah. us. So, yeah, yeah. yeah they're,
4: and, and they're not going to tell you if they are, and I, I'm worried about that. But here's the good yeah. stuff, all right? And by the words, we're speaking with Alex Coffey. Uh, follow on Twitter, at by Alex Coffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Here's the part that's good. Here's your order, Ray. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoss, this is what they did the other day. Maybe this will be the order. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper batting third, Castellanos cleanup, JT batting fifth, Didi Gregoria sixth, Gene Segura, Bryson Stott, Mm -hmm. and my center fielder, Mickey Moniak. (laughs) So let's start with Mickey Moniak, who people in this town have watched for many years, you know, having been the first overall pick of the draft and done nothing. By all accounts, he is having a great spring. Is it possible that Mickey Moniak has finally figured it out? Does he look like you to a major league player?
5: Yeah, yeah, no, he, I mean, he looks like one now. He made a few adjustments with um, the Phillies hitting coach, Kevin Long. He's a little bit closer to the plate, and, um, and you know, it's funny how a little tweak like that can just unlock all this power, but he's homered a bunch of times this spring. Um, you know, he's getting in the lineup, getting in games more, um, so... It's pretty crazy considering the fact that he wasn't able to work with Kevin um, during the off season, during the lockout. You know, they just met this spring. You know, obviously they haven't had a lot of time together, but it was kind of an immediate impact that he made. Um, and we're already seeing the results. So, um, you know, you always have to preface it with his spring training and, you know, don't read into it too much. But but so far he looks great, and I think he's got a really good shot to, uh, you know, to make the team
6: so. Yeah, it sure yeah. looks that it sure looks that way, and uh, nobody would have guessed that coming into this spring. I mean, it's, I'm, I think most people had kind of written him off as a as just a mm-hmm. wasted draft pick, and now he's played his way back into it thanks to the O'Dubal Herrera injury. I mean, if he if he was still yeah. playing, I mean, who knows that Moniak would have even gotten this opportunity?
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's crazy to see what that injury has opened up. You know, you look at a guy like Matt Veerling too, another center field candidate, he's been tearing the cover off the ball as well, making really, really hard contact, both of them. Um, And they wouldn't really have this in-depth look, you know, that they're getting without, uh, without Herrera's injury. So, you know. We'll see what happens there. I don't know if he's going to get Wally pipped or, or what, but it'll be interesting be to
4: watch. That would be fine with both of us. Alex, before, before we let you go, I read your bio. says you are a second-generation sports writer. Ray, Ray and I are both a couple of old sports writers. Give us a little bit of your background, people who haven't met you yet in town. Give us a little bit of you know where you're from and uh, your family history here.
5: Yeah, so I'm from New York originally, and my dad was a longtime sports writer at the New York Daily News. Um, he would normally write, you know, like long Sunday features. He was an enterprise guy, so he wasn't—he wasn't ever really on a beat. Um, but he would bring me to events and press box, press boxes, and um, games. You know, I was always around the game, but it wasn't just that I was around the game. I was also around media, so um, I kind of felt like he was grooming me for, for this for a while. But as a stubborn child, I always told him that I didn't want to do what he did and then um, kind of fell in love with it in my own way, and now I'm doing exactly what he did. <laughs> so. well, that's terrific. Wow, so I, 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 I,
6: I didn't know that. So Wayne Coffey is your dad? Yep, yep. I I, yeah. I, had, I, had no idea. Well, Wayne, I've known Wayne Coffey for a long time. Your dad's really a good guy. He's a terrific writer, uh, yeah. and um, he covered a lot of Olympic stuff, and I covered yeah. a lot of Olympic stuff, so that's where I got to know him. And, um he wrote, uh, I mean, his book, Boys of Winter, about the 80 Olympic team, mm-hmm. is really, really a good book. And your dad's, a, yeah. your dad's really a good guy. Well, I Yeah, uh,
5: he sets the bar very high, very high. Sometimes he sure I did. Wish I didn't share the surname with him because I'm like, oh, my gosh, the standard is so high. He sure but, did. Um, <laughs> well, when you, when next time you're talking <laughs> yeah. to your
6: dad, tell him I said hello, please.
5: I will. I will.
4: <laughs> All right. Listen, it's, uh, it's delightful to, to meet you, to talk to you, and uh, uh, appreciate your insight and hope to talk to you again.
5: Yeah, thanks so much, guys.
4: Have a good one. Thanks, uh, Alex. You will. There you go. Well, how coffee, about the that?
6: Inquirer. There you go, right? I, know, I didn't. I just didn't make the connection.
4: Well, sure. It's 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 not. Coffee is not the most common name, but certainly not rare.
6: Yeah, yeah. I just I just never put that together. That 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 Wayne Coffee was her dad.
4: I think she's off to a pretty good start. You know, I criticize the Inquirer a lot um, when I think it needs it, but they brought her in as a baseball writer, and she did a piece last week on the. Um, the kid trying to make it as a backup catcher, Sands. I think they just sent him down the other day. But it was very. She can write too. She got writing jobs.
6: Yeah. So, oh, good. Go. Good for her. It's in the genetics. Uh, apparently so. I mean, there's a lot of that. Uh, a lot of that out there. Uh, you know that uh, some of the, uh, a lot of the um, young women that are into the sports writing thing came through it with their fathers. You know, and, and so it's uh, it it sort of makes sense. But her yeah. her dad was really really good. He wrote for the New York Daily News for a long time, and really his book on the 80 US hockey team is really a fine fine book called nice. the Boys of Winter. Very
4: nice. Ray, can I just say one thing? Yeah.
6: I'm thinking of Philly's playoffs this year, Ray.
1: <laughs>
4: Still, come, on, huh? come with me, Ray. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go down this road
6: together. No, I'm telling you it's it's the on, sun, man. It's, it's the sunshine and the palm trees. That you're you're intoxicated. Nah, you're nah, intoxicated nah. with the uh, with the look and feel of of the grapefruit League. Ray, I,
4: I believe I have a few spare instruments left on the bandwagon. If you want to hop on,
6: uh, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll wait. I'm, I am not.
4: Uh, <laughs> it's April, I, Ray. Come on. I can't.
6: Look, I, I, listen. I wish Mickey Moniak well. I do, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not. That's I'm, where you had to start, huh? I'm not prepared. To, I'm not prepared to say that all of a sudden he's become Mickey Mantle. I just, oh no, no, I no. Just don't
4: Castellanos, Schwarber.
6: Come on, I. 225 like, home runs out of this team this year. I have too much. I yeah. Well, that part of it. I mean, listen that the heart of the lineup uh, the batting order. I'm I'm with you there. I I think they are going to be. I think they are going to be. You know, one of the top offensive teams in baseball. I think they're going to be a dynamic offensive team. I think they're going to. I think they're going to hit the ball. They're going to score a ton of runs. Um, I just don't know about the rest of it, but. You know the people, the people that I've read and the people that I've talked to, and the pe- baseball people whose opinion I respect, um, are more on your side. I mean, they they feel <laughs> apparently, that, apparently that group doesn't include me because I can't sway you a little bit. No, but I mean, well, I mean, they're, I mean, they're they're of the opinion that the, I think. Look, when the projections <laughs> I come wait, hold out, on, I just have to. People I respect think the Phillies are going to be good, and then there's you. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't take it that way. I guess you could if you wish, but you don't have to. I would rather you didn't. But um, I, I have a feeling. Look, this week we're going. Everybody's going to be making their picks, right? This yeah. week the the season's going to open for real, uh, and everybody's going to be making their predictions about how the things are going to finish and who's going to make the playoffs and who's going to make the World Series. And I would be willing to bet you, even if you do view it on a national scale, not just locally but nationally, the writers. Um, I'll bet more. I'll bet the Phillies are going to be picked by most people to make the postseason. Not necessarily win the division, but they're going to be viewed. I think most people are going to pick them as a postseason team. Oh, there you have it. I really do. I I think there is is a genuine feeling of – that kind of optimism about the Phillies right, right
4: now. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll bother you about it again next week, all right? That's fine. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go and through By it. the way, I am
6: rooting for them. I want them well, to do I that well. That. I'm just, I know. I I'm know. just, uh, you know, I mean, last You're year. Uh, You're know, I I never got on the bandwagon last year, and I'm yeah, still not quite on.
4: Yeah. Big year for Joe Girardi, by the way.
6: I think it's a huge Joe year. Girardi, Joe Girardi,
4: Doc Rivers, both kind of in that same position. Like, you know, we hired these big name, big visibility managers coach with great resumes and kind of put up or shut up time for both of those.
6: Yeah, boy. Given Joe, Given Joe, a 16 man pitching staff is really dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I, yes. I, I could just see him I have every, uh, those shots of him walking out of the dugout, uh, you know, tapping the right arm, tapping uh, the left arm. Yeah, I, give I have one a of those.
4: Another one of these. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yes. We get to use that chip a lot, don't we? All right. Uh, Robert in Germantown's got some final four thoughts. Robert, I know you've been patient. Thanks for hanging.
3: No, it's always a pleasure listening to you guys. So, Ray, I was at New I Hope yesterday, looking forward very much to your play next Saturday. Yeah. Oh, right? good. Well, Gather starting this week, right?
6: Yeah, it, it we uh, the play opens at the Bucks County Playhouse this Thursday. And uh, are you coming Saturday afternoon or Saturday night?
3: Afternoon. I'm an old guy. I don't like driving. Inside, oh, okay. Because right? if you were coming on
6: Saturday night, you'd get the opportunity to see Glenn Macnow on the stage.
3: Well, but maybe I'll stay then. Yeah, you, you just some, hang out. Maybe I'll bring some, uh, some gourmet yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So anyways, a uh, trivia question for you guys. Who was uh, Coach K's coach starting out at West Point? It uh, was Bobby, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Now, I had the experience back when I was a basketball coach, uh, going to a lot of clinics he used to have. met some really great human beings and brilliant coaches. John Wooden, uh, Roy Williams, and Dean Smith came as a pair. Roy was the assistant back then. And, wow. yeah, I got to meet Bobby Knight and Coach K. Brilliant coaches, I'll give, I'll give them that. But as human beings, arrogant. You don't want to know about Bobby Knight. The stories I could tell you guys. Oh, Maybe we know that. Sure. We
6: know the. Oh, stories. Trust me, I know about Bobby Knight. So, Ray, yeah, is there a gene?
4: Because Ray, you and I have talked about this a lot with with pro with football coaches, right? Mm-hmm. They can be great at their jobs and are often arrogant SOBs, right? Stubborn, arrogant SOBs, and it does appear to be the same with college basketball coaches. Yeah, well, is it something that helps you do the job to be that guy?
6: I, I don't know. I don't think that you have to be that way. I've known other coaches that, that have been successful and haven't been that way. Jay Wright being a perfect example of yeah. that. Yeah. But oh, I mean, Jay it's, Wright, it, Jay it, Wright. It's, it's so good. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's the point that you made about uh, you know that Robert was mentioning about Shashevsky um, coaching playing playing at Army for Bobby Knight, uh, what the a, a football coach at Army at that time at West Point was Bill Parcells. And mm-hmm. Bill Parcells ah. and Bobby Knight became like best friends and are remain best friends today and are very similar personalities. Yeah, very a, similar personalities. Seems like a fun dinner party to crash. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, Bobby Bobby Knight is wildly entertaining. He swears like... Well, you no, know, we I, I know. We can't talk no. about it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying. Uh, yeah. well, last comment, guys. I, I wish Temple became relevant again. I think what we miss in Philadelphia is a big-time team like Temple used to have where you want to go to the welfare. I I love Jay Wright, but I just can't embrace Villanova as a Philadelphia school. I just can't do
4: it. Well, that, that's uh. that's you. Uh, I think that's most me. people have moved. I think most people have moved moved past the Villanova is not a Philadelphia team. I mean, it's whatever. Ten minutes away. It's a Philadelphia team. Yeah. Um, but what Philadelphia misses currently, I think, is a good college basketball rivalry. Right. Because there's Villanova, and then there's the rest of them, and it's it's much better when. You know, Villanova and Temple are playing some for something. Or when St. Joe's had those good years, whatever. Now, back what, fifteen years ago, I guess. Right. Um, under Phil, when you know they would beat Villanova half the time. That that that's what we miss.
6: Yeah, what you're missing really is the is the true is the true sense of rivalry among the Big Five schools. Which even when, and there were years when. Some of those teams, individual teams, were really, really good. I mean, LaSalle had a really good run. I mean, Villanova had a really good run. You know, Temple, even Penn, uh, and St. Joe's, of course, under Ramsey, nationally ranked and had a chance, but they never were, They never so separated themselves from the other teams that the Big Five games didn't have real meaning. I mean, there was always a chance that, on any given year, Penn could knock off a really good St. Joe's team. You really felt that on those Saturday doubleheaders. I mean, that's what made the building so electric. That hasn't been the case now for years. I mean, it really is Villanova and everybody else.
4: Yep. Um, By the way, uh, rumor has it, Ray, uh, that our our pal recent guest on Tell Us Your Story, Fran Dunphy, may end up the coach back at LaSalle one more run.
6: Really? Yes. How fitting would that be that he he Uh, goes back to coach at the school where he played? The story is the job's his if he wants it. Wow. Well, listen, that would be a great hire for LaSalle. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, they need something to put the program back on the map and he's the winningest coach in Big Five history and, and a and a great player on the greatest team that LaSalle's ever had. Yeah. So I mean to me it looks like a fit. I would love it. and when we had Fran on for Tell Us Your Story, he made it clear that I still remember his words, you know, I miss the juice of the locker room. So if given the opportunity, I think he would do it again. He's a lifer. Yeah,
4: he is. He's a lifer. All right, coming up. We'll take your calls on the other side. Uh, we haven't gotten to enough college today. Looking forward to that. And I threw out this contest at the beginning of the show, and I you know, really haven't done much to advance it. I thought that second game last night, that North Carolina-Duke game, was one of the most entertaining sporting events I have seen in a long time. Ray was too busy sulking over the Villanova loss that he yeah, I couldn't was. get into the
6: spirit of the thing. I've, I was watching with one eye. I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I know.
4: Uh, so the question is what is the what is the best game you have seen? It can be sporting event. It doesn't have to be a game. Uh, in the last ten years, we want it to be recent. Two rules: not a championship game, not a Super Bowl, not a final. Uh, and not a Philadelphia team, because we can all find games involving our team that we love. Give us another. Somebody wins a $25 gift card to my brewery, the Concha Brewing Company. Beers on me. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP.
1: <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact.
8: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CT Mobile.com.
4: Ray Danger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Ray, you ready to talk some callers? Absolutely. Uh, let's do it. Rich in Haddon Township is with us. Hello, Rich. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing all right. We're good.
7: So I called actually to talk about the NCAA women's championship tonight because mm-hmm. it literally, I it's the only game I have the rooting interest in. Um, Kansas and North Carolina is, eh, but you know, I would have I would have loved to see Villanova or Duke just with no, the story. You don't of want Coach to see Kay.
4: Duke. No, you don't.
7: Want Duke I want to see the story, of Coach Guy. I want to see how that played out. That's
4: all. It Played out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Go okay. ahead, talk about the women's um, game tonight because it's uh, a lot of local angles on this one.
7: Yeah, I'm really looking forward, you know, to South Carolina, of course, for Steele a coach, but I'm looking forward to, to to Kentucky too because they they have that guard who's a phenomenal player. Got hurt in the middle of the year and has come back and is and is still playing great basketball. So I think it's a great story and a great matchup both ways. I, I really I'm looking forward to seeing it. Like I said.
6: Well, they're playing Connecticut, right? Yeah, it's, it's UConn. UConn. No, I'm sorry, I said Kentucky. I meant yeah, I
7: meant yeah. UConn. I, you I'm confuse me for a yeah. moment there. It's
4: UConn. No, right? no I confused. Gino another local guy. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's right. He is a local guy. Yes. Uh, again, Ray, we uh, uh, as always, going back to tell us your story. We had Dawn Staley on what about a year ago? About a year ago, and I just she, she's somebody now I root for in in sports as much as just about anybody.
6: Always. Yeah. Always and she <laughs> you know and she felt I remember when we did the interview with her she talked about the fact that um she felt that her team had a chance to win it all the year of the pandemic and the season got shut down and they never had the opportunity to finish it uh, and now she's back in the championship game this year against a Yukon team which in the unusual and uh, it's unusual to see an Oriana Yukon team that's the underdog but they are the underdog but a dangerous one but uh, anybody that knows Dawn Staley's story and where she came from and the career that she had. Just an all time legendary figure, not just in women's basketball, but in all of basketball. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're all rooting for Dawn Staley.
7: Was it Marcus Hayes that wrote that article about how it, it's difficult to, to not like Dawn Staley, but like in, in the conference that she's playing against, she's respected, but she's getting that dislike that other winning coaches have? Like, oh, like I don't know. Comes- I
4: didn't see. It it could well be a Marcus piece. It sounds like it. I did not see that. Yeah, it was,
7: it was it was a great article. It was a great, yeah. absolutely great article. I loved it.
4: Um, I just remember when we had her on. Tell us your story, and Ray. We we played uh, some of it during the best of. And she goes, you know, when she got to carry the flag in the Olympics, I couldn't believe it. Here I am, this little girl from North Philly, and all of a sudden I'm carrying my country's flag. Right. And she had me at that. Right.
6: Oh, sure. And and that's. You know, that's that's Dawn. I mean, she was, you know, I mean, she talked about growing up on the playgrounds in North Philadelphia, playing with the guys, uh, yeah. and, um, you know, going on and having a terrific high school career, then a college career, and then not even sure she wanted a coach, and then getting the opportunity to coach, kind of talked into it by John Chaney at Temple, and um, then he kind of became her mentor. Yep. And then she goes on and just has has a great playing career herself, playing professional basketball, wins Olympic medals as a player, and then gets to coach an Olympic carry the flag and then coach the Olympic team. My goodness, what a great great life story. And yeah. who knows, maybe she adds another chapter today.
4: Be nice. I think she just won coach of the year, right? The other day? Again? third yes, she at did. Yeah, she Beautiful. did. Douglas in Center City. Uh, want we'll to talk Eagles free agency? Douglas, you might be a little late. <laughs>
9: <laughs> it may have passed. <laughs> Um fellas, uh happy to be on with you. First time caller, always a pleasure to talk to you or listen rather, uh, on the weekend. So thanks for having me.
6: Oh, thanks for calling.
9: Um Yeah, uh Glenn, if I could pivot a little bit. Um Sure. Uh well first I want to give you my game before I forget, please. I think I had the winner and I enjoy a hazy IPA, Glenn. So
4: okay. hear me out. Well here's your opportunity.
9: The round two, or three months ago. Bills-Chiefs, let's go. I mean, come on. That, does it get better yeah. than that game? That was – anyway. Ray,
4: as badly as it ended, it really was one of the great games. That, that's Well,
6: you know, that, I got to say, for, uh, that's the one I was thinking of, but I yeah. didn't want to claim it because I, yeah. wanted to get, I wanted to leave it out there for somebody else. So good for yeah. you, Doug. That's, that was actually the one I was thinking of, but I, I kind of wanted to let somebody else say it because I, I've been thinking about it. Can't, I can't remember a game that I enjoyed more. Or a game that was more exciting than that one.
4: Um tell that to my dad, Ray.
6: Yeah, I know. I know. It's a painful, a painful, painful one for Buffalo. Uh, but I mean, just a great, great football game. Doug, I think that's a really good choice.
9: Appreciate it. And um I don't know what your guys' thoughts uh on this is, but I feel like the birds really need um a four to six year cornerback like get me get me another leto shepherd i know he wasn't a hall of famer but give me a guy who's young and can just you don't have to worry about him he's solid uh, i just feel strongly the birds need a freaking first round cornerback he's, I, well, there's, Lito. He,
6: he's out there i mean that's that that to me if if i'm the eagles that's the move i'm making i'm i'm, I'm signing stefan gilmore i would do that oh really yep I would oh, do we that. we haven't talked about this. Yeah, I would do that. He's, uh, he's still out there, and I know it probably cost you a lot, but uh, you put him on the opposite side of Darius Slay. I think you've locked up your cornerback position. Look, there are some good cornerbacks in this draft, and we've talked about them. I talked about them yesterday, and there are. You could draft one for sure. But, um, I mean, Stephon Gilmore, to me, is a guy – he had some injuries last year, so people are being a little cautious about him. But I don't think it's anything serious. Um, and i would I would absolutely explore him i I think he's a smart player. I think he's a good player. he's played for winning programs, he understands the position um, very heady. i think he'd be a, i think he'd be a great fit interesting thirty one years old,
4: not too old for you.
6: no. No, I mean, okay. you know, I mean, you know, you'd have two cornerbacks both north of 30, which is yeah. not ideal. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you saw how well Slay played last year. Yeah. Uh, and that was without getting a whole lot of help from Nelson on the other side. If you put Gilmore over there and you have Gilmore and Slay as your two corners, you've got the corner position in good hands, I think.
4: Interesting, Ray. Hey, Douglas, thanks. It was a, it was a very good call, and you may win the prize, as much pain as that game caused me. Um that's funny, right? Because we've talked about free agents. I had not heard you mention him before. I had said I want you know Tyron Matthew is still hanging out there, which he is, and they haven't signed him. Listen, I think I I don't disagree with you. Um, I think that Steven Nelson was was nothing. Their whole secondary was nothing last year uh other well, Slay than Slay. played well yeah yeah other than Slade, Slade played very well avante maddox was i thought he was he was pretty good oh he was good i mean that but, was his
6: best year i thought
4: yeah but anthony harris is a nothing burger rodney mcleod is kind of done steven nelson didn't do much for me um so i'm if they if they were to add either of those two guys to me tyron matthew is a safety or stefan gilmore that at least gives you half of a secondary go and and maddox going into the draft right so i'm i've I'm delighted to hear you say that. I'm I'm going to look up and see what's going on with him why nobody has signed him.
6: Yeah, that's that was my that was the reason that I was sort of being I was sort of hedging my bets on it because I thought there's something odd here that a player this good is just sitting there. In in this active free agent market, why is nobody moving on Stefan Gilmore, which made me which really made me pause. But I've talked to some people and had some communication with some people and said, "Am I missing? Is there something that I don't know? Is there something that I'm missing here?" And they all said, "No, no, that he's still a really good player and in the right situation, he could come in and really help a team." So at that point, I just said, "You know what? I'm in." Now I know, it, you know, I know you'd have to pay him a fair amount of money, but I think he'd be a guy that would be worth it. And the way the Eagles value cornerbacks, to me, it's definitely a phone call worth making. Ooh,
4: Ray didn't try. That's my favorite moment of the show so far. <laughs> Peter in Media is with us. Uh, Peter, by the way, Media is my favorite local town. I got to tell you, why is that? Uh, well, first of all, because my son lives there with his family. But second of all, just because that main drag there, there is—I just love walking down that street and going into the yeah. restaurants and shops and Media Theater. I just think it's a great place.
8: Yeah, yeah, it's got the sort of the uh, all-American old home hometown family. Yeah,
6: uh, yep. yeah, it definitely has that. You're right.
8: Well, gentlemen, uh, I really want to call and ask a uh, a draft question, which I will, but one quick, uh, uh, I think, wonderful Gene Banks story. So years ago, the late 90s, I was a high school basketball coach, actually out in California, but I find my my way into North Carolina one summer, and I figured I'm just going to pop into Duke and see if I can talk to Coach Krzyzewski. I had seen him at a a couple coaching clinics and thought he was wonderful. I just walk in unannounced, and uh, sure enough, he's there. Uh, but he's busy. He, he gives me a couple of minutes, very graciously. He says, but listen, talk, talk with uh, my assistant, David Henderson, and he'll, he'll give you a tour and talk. To and so they were so gracious. Coach Henderson spends about an hour with me, takes me through Cameron. But I, I distinctly remember him telling me I'm, on his recruiting visit when he was a high school junior or senior, he's at, he's at, he's at the Duke-North Carolina game. And he said what, what really clinched it for, for him to come to Duke, but what really turned the Duke program around, In the pregame, guys are all in the locker room getting getting ready to go out to the court. All the lights go out in the locker room except for one candle in the middle. And Coach Kishewski just steps to the candle and says, "I didn't come here to praise Caesar. I came here to bury him." And he blows out the candle. And so Henderson said the team was so fired up that they went out. And they were actually not. They were. It was kind of a tight, floppy game early first half, but. They're coming at halftime, and Shashevsky just sort of, sort of gets on the guard that you've got the best big man in the country, not the ACC, in the country, in Gene Banks, and let this man go off, get him the ball. And they did that, and they end up beating North Carolina. That's what really kind of sort of turned that program around in Coach Henderson's eyes was, was that game and, and, and that thing. Interesting. But,
6: yep. um, now, Gene Banks was a, was a huge figure uh, in, in the history of Duke basketball. I mean, he was, you know, they had, a, they had not had many African American players at Duke. Uh, and so when they recruited him, uh, it was a big, big deal. And he was their first African American All American. Uh, and he had a great—he had one year and one year that he and he, he led the ACC in scoring and outscored both James Worthy and Ralph Sampson. So that, I mean, that's how—that's yeah. how—that's how great a player Gene Banks was, and a very, yeah. very big figure in the history of Duke basketball.
8: Yeah, we all, of course, wish he had come to the Big Five, but he, he went on to greatness there, of course. Yep. Now, quick, quick, listen with the, the draft. And, Ray, and, and I've been enjoying listening to, to you guys talk about your, your draft previews over the last couple of weekends, but maybe this is a separate list. I think the Eagles, the first question they should ask is not how to draft but, or, or who to draft, but how to win. Answer that question first, and I would ask you two, what would you say if you were the owner of the Eagles, owners of the Eagles, and how would you answer the question, this is how we, we consistently win or consistently make ourselves a championship contender, and because this is how we do this, here's the players
6: we would draft.
4: Ray, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where, this, where to take this thing.
6: Well, I think that um, I do believe, I think the point that Peter's kind of driving at is the idea of, of uh, understanding how to win and what's involved in winning. Uh, and uh, I, I know that when Chuck Knoll, began rebuilding the Steelers, and he took over the Steelers. They had never won a playoff game in their history. Yeah. had never won a playoff game. And when they hired Chuck Knoll, he said, the only way we're going to rebuild this is with the guys who know how to win because there's nobody here right now that knows how to win because you never have. And so the one consistent thing through all of Knoll's drafts in those early years when he built the team that dominated the 70s was everybody that he drafted came from a winning program. Uh, all of these guys, have, That was the one. whether they came from a big college or a small college, they all came from winning programs because he believed that winning was something you learned how to do. And, uh, and so he wanted those guys to come in with that knowledge and the ability of feeling like winners and having one and knowing what the idea of winning felt like. And so that's why he drafted Joe Green and Lynn Swan and Bradshaw. Even though they, some of them came from small colleges, they were all winners in college, and that's how he built. A winning environment in a place that had never won. I do think there's, I do think there's some value to that. I really mm-hmm.
4: do. Okay, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now coming up at noon, we're going to talk to Derek Bodner about what is a very strange time for the Sixers. Huge win yesterday, but uh, maybe some reason to be concerned as they move toward the playoffs. We'll see if, what Derek has to say, and we will take your calls, Ray and Glenn, on ninety four WIP.
1: After the end of a good fight.
7: And Bob goes after the puck with Labushkin as well. Good work by Actually gets there, centers it. Back out it comes to York for the shot blocked. He waited too long. Now it bounces to Provorov. Backhand and around for Hayes. Hayes for
4: Provorov. He scores. Ray, a rare Flyers highlight. <laughs> Provorov, big game for Progorov yesterday.
6: Yeah, two goals. Yeah, uh,
4: but they lost six to three. 6-3 to three at home to Toronto. Back after 12 days on the road, boy. It's, ugh. Um, so I, I bring the Flyers up for one thing, and you and I discussed this a little bit yesterday, and I was surprised to learn that this became as controversial as it did. Keith Yandel, Flyers defenseman. And allow me to use the word defenseman loosely, uh, because he is he's a turnstile back there. And um, he, however, holds... Set earlier this year and holds the NHL record for most consecutive games played 989, which is pretty amazing in hockey. that's what 12 plus seasons, right? If you do the math, mm-hmm. dates back to, to 2009. And um, yesterday, the coach oh, I'm thinking didn't do this without talking to the GM, but the coach, Mike O, Yo, said, "You know what? Uh, everybody who's playing get up. Not so fast, Keith." And they sat him, and the streak ended at, uh, what did I say, 989 games. And I thought, hey, this is what had to happen. He's not playing well. They brought up a kid. They wanted to try and see what he could do. And it became a huge issue around the NHL. I'm going to read you. This is Jeremy Roenick, our old friend. And, Ray, the theme today being another guest on Tell Us Your Story. Yeah. Jeremy Roenick. I never thought I'd be this disappointed in the flyers. One of my favorite teams ever scratching Yandel is beyond disrespectful and sends the wrong message of loyalty to players and fans of the NHL. This team is not making the playoffs. What's the message here? Mike Yo, you should be ashamed. What Keith has accomplished is truly remarkable and to take it away from him, what free agent would ever want to play for Mike Yo again? By the way, I don't think they need to worry about that. I'm suspecting he's not going to be the coach next year, but whatever. <laughs> the team is trying to rebuild, and you pull a move like this—unbelievable! I'm very disappointed to be a Flyers fan right now. Ray, you—you uh, you on the Ronick side on this one?
6: No, <laughs> no. I, I, you know, I look—he has the streak. Good for him. You know, I mean, it's—it's it's not to be scoffed at. I mean, to play that many consecutive games—it's an accomplishment, but. Come on, the season is. If you, if you, the chance to play some younger players and and give them an opportunity now. I mean, it's yeah. I have, I have no, I had no problem with it. I really, I really didn't. I really, I really didn't. I mean, if you're, if the idea is to try and 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 has have, say that his consecutive game streak is some sort of a a highlight. Within this miserable season, it's a season without highlights. To me, there was yeah. only one, and that was, you know, that was the night they honored Giroud. Everything else has been a slog, and you know, and he's not he's not a good player. hasn't that been for terrible. a long time. Terrible. And so, you know, so what's the point? I mean, he's, he's got the consecutive game streak. Good for him. But this is a chance to bring in some younger players and let them play. And i I had no problem with it whatsoever. I mean, I, I never even thought it. I never even thought it was a thing. I really yeah. didn't.
4: Well. It was. You, you, again, you and I talked about it very briefly yesterday, and I'm on the same side as you, and we thought, like, okay, well, that, nobody's going to mind that. And then it became around the league, this, this issue of the Flyers being disrespectful to the streak. And, yeah, the guy can't play anymore. You know, once upon a time, he was a very good player. He was a terrible signing by the team this year, uh, indicative of many that they made. And as you said, they wanted to try a new kid. They, they brought up a kid out of Western Michigan University. played his first game. And that's it. That's, you know, you don't keep a streak going for the sake of a streak. So, right. there you
6: have it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this was, you know, to me, this was not like Eli Manning being benched by the Giants. I mean, it's, you know,
4: that's... Right, he's just passing through town
6: anyway. Yeah, exactly. I think the guy has no real history here. He's You know, he's a journeyman player at the end of a journeyman career. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. I mean, it's a coach's decision, and I, I you know, I, I never thought... You know, what's what's disrespectful is the way this team has trashed the what the Flyers stand for over the course of and that's been an that's been an ongoing story from from the beginning of the season to today. That's if you want to talk about disrespect, that's where your disrespect is. The team that they've built in comparison to what they used to be. That's what's disrespectful.
4: Agreed. Uh let's talk to Morris in Haddon Heights. You're on with Rain Glenn. Uh, I just want
10: to say first of all that
4: Um, This must be the only
10: radio station where the weekend hosts are every bit as good as the regular weekday hosts.
4: Uh, You're very kind. Thanks, Morris.
10: And and I I followed both of you for years and years. Um, And the only great injustice I can see is Ray is is just not an expert on the Eagles. He seems to be an expert on every sport.
4: No doubt about it.
10: It is. It is. uh, I mean, I know that you know who Norm Steed, uh King Cannon, and King Hill were, right? Um, I started with Jurgensen. That's when I started following. But I can tell you that you guys are an absolute pleasure to listen to. Um, have a good uh, rapport between each other, and um, that uh, it just is something I look forward to. And I, 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 the only other thing I wanted to ask you before I get off is. Um, it 'll never happen because the owners control the league, but in the NFL, the way you do it to keep teams competitive is that the owner uh, has ten years to get them in the playoffs <laughs> once, and if they have a ten year streak where they don 't make the playoffs, they have to sell the team
6: <laughs> hey morris i got to tell you you know you know who's um, you know who first broached that to me was oh. none, none other than Michael Barkan. That's that's the Michael Barkan rule, and he said that that's the way it should be in all sports. That if someone, yeah, you and Michael Barkan think along exactly the same lines. He said if if an owner buys a team, he has ten years to get that team into the playoffs. If they don't. He the league steps in and forces him to sell the team, not at a loss. You allow him to make his money. Nobody's but, ever going to sell but, at a loss. But the franchise, but but and that wouldn't happen. But but the, the franchise and Michael's point, and I think it's your point too, Morris, is that a fan base should not be held hostage by an incompetent owner. That you have ten years to get your team into the playoffs at least once, and if you can't do that, the league steps in and says, "Sorry, you had your chance." Sell the team, and let's bring somebody else in.
4: You know what I wish American sports had? What's that? Relegation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, the only one I guess you could do it with is baseball, right? Right. You know, this this year, the the worst team in the major leagues moves down and the Louisville Redbirds move up or something like that. Mm-hmm. That That's a, an aspect, and I'm not a soccer fan, but that is an aspect of British soccer that I think is great. For people who don't know what that means, and I don't know the details of it, but essentially they have It's the, the Ted Lasso league. rule. It's the Ted Lasso rule, right. The <laughs> leagues are basically um, there's the Premier League, and then there's the next league down, then there's the next league down. I don't know what they are. But if you finish in last in your league, you drop to the lower-level league. You drop from the majors to AAA, more or less, and another team moves up. And I think that's br- it's so much incentive not to tank. Yeah, I know. I think it's great. I
6: think mm-hmm. it's great. Of course, yeah. in the NHL this year, you might have you might have the Flyers dropping out.
4: That's it. Yes, yeah, the Flyers next year get to play in the AHL. Hershey moves up, or whatever. <laughs> I'm
6: not even I'm not even sure there'd be any good down there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Two one. Uh, actually, we got time for another call. Let's get Nick in Collegeville. You're on with uh, Ray and Glenn. Hi, Nick.
2: Hey guys. I'll go quick since you're up against the. Yeah,
6: uh, no, we're, we're good. We're no, okay. we're
2: good. First of all, I thought I'd be drinking some uh, Kajak and Brewing Cuffing beer until the guy stole. I think the winner. I, I think that's. Oh, no, you can.
4: Uh, it's it's not. It ain't locked in. You I, can give it a shot.
2: I searched. Uh, listen, I listen. I try to remember, and every time I came up with another game, it was as good, well, almost as good as that Buffalo uh, KC game. It, they were championship. Please games understand. I
4: am the judge today, and I am you know by genetics uh. a Buffalo Bills fan, so I
2: could be swayed. Okay. I you know, I'm drawing the blank, but uh I'll I'll go on to my points. First all right, of course, you can tell you, you guys are doing a great because you you guys you guys three callers that have all, all the topics, which is no we're not a Philadelphia team. When well, I I'm fifty three, forget about it. If you still think that way, I consider myself almost old now mm-hmm. if you think that way then forget about it. Just forget, stop following Philly sports. Two I can't. Coach K overrated. That's I can't stand Coach K. I can't stand any blue blood. I can't stand any team that starts with a K. Kansas, Kentucky, uh, you know, all the big boys. North Carolina, but say Coach Coach K is overrated. It's absurd. But I'll say this: Jay Wright has done much better in the last fifteen, twenty years with lesser talent in a micro small team in college basketball than any of the blue bloods. So I think Jay Wright's better than the so-called overrated coach hey and my last point is i
4: think let me, let me just say this yeah i think with with Krzyzewski retiring i think jay wright assumes the mantle of the top coach in college basketball listen there he, he's the guy there's no doubt yeah well, well i mean there are yeah. others who you could you could argue for bill self you know last night you saw the guy from
2: kansas certainly he well, deserves some he, consideration well, had but so many first round and second round losses in a program, yeah, that's true.
4: He's disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and coach think I think, look, I think Jay Kay, Wright
2: now kind of takes that spot. I yeah, do. I mean, Coach K and, and Jay Wright both lost last night, which means Jay Wright had a better season because he was down a player, and is again, he's he's in that small, tiny school. When anyway, and my last point is, like I said, I love Nova over any other local basketball team and any any other national college basketball team. But to say that Nova was in that game yesterday, I mean, I think the game, the spread was six. They were down six and six and a half seconds, and they never smelt six until there was five or six minutes left in the game, and that's that six or six or seven point long, uh, deficit disappeared in a millisecond. They were not in that game. If you want to argue they were down their second best player, and they were not supposed to win that game, you're right. But you yeah, they were yeah. But that's but a whole
6: different discussion. You're yeah, right. and th- well, you and can't say they that. were
4: in that game. They no, were they never were not in that
2: game. That was absurd, they were
6: not. I think so. the,
4: the caller who said that earlier. I think it was you know kind of him watching the game as a Nova fan, hoping and wishing exactly that he, that this was going to happen and so that certainly colored his opinion on it. But and listen, you and I are rooting for Nova, but there was there was not a second in the other after the first tip off and Kansas scores, I think Villanova turned the ball over right at the very beginning and Kansas scored, but whatever. From from the point it was two to nothing, there was never a, a moment where I thought like, hey, you know what? Villanova's gonna win this game.
6: Yeah. No, I they I, I got it to six, and uh, I was rooting for him, but I never felt like To me, Kansas was in control of that game from wire to wire. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was how it felt to me.
4: Indeed. Um, you know what? I'm going to sneak Al in Virginia here. I don't want him to have to wait another segment. So, Al, you want to talk about wide receivers on the Eagles. They need them.
7: Yes, I was wondering if the Eagles go uh, defense first round would the uh, – Would there be a receiver in the second round that uh, could help the Eagles? And also, Ray, we'll do one at a
4: time. Hold on, no rush. Ray, Uh, you uh, did your wide receiver preview, I believe, last week. Was there a guy that you say, like, good second round fit?
6: Christian Watson. Tell us more, Christian Watson. Um, well, th- the problem is, I think he's liable to sneak into the first round. He was actually one of my sleepers uh, until he got to the until he got to the Senior Bowl. He's uh, he's from a small school. He's from North Dakota State. Sound familiar? Um, right. He's from North Dakota State <laughs> um, and had a, and was a great receiver there um, and was kind of on my sleeper list. But then he went to the Senior Bowl and was probably the best one of the best receivers at the Senior Bowl. So I don't know that he qualifies as a sleeper anymore, but. He's a guy that I think would be there in the second round. Should be uh, and uh, six feet four, two hundred and ten pounds, ran a four four forty and caught everything at Mobile. Uh, I think he's legit. I mean, he's a small college player, but I think he's a big college talent. And if you're talking about a wide receiver that could be there in the second round, mm, yeah, I think Christian Watson is the guy that speaks to me.
7: Okay, and I do have a. Uh Best game of the last 10 years? Sure. NCAA semifinal last year, Gonzaga-UCLA.
4: Oh, that was a good game. Yeah, that was, that was a semifinal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, I uh, you're in consideration. I like it. Thank you. Thank- Again, I'd love to not vote for the Chiefs over Bills. You know what I'm saying?
6: <laughs> well, we'll leave it open. I think, I think right now, to be honest with you, I think right now that's probably the leader in the clubhouse, but yeah. we got another hour to go.
4: It's a big clubhouse. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. 215 592 Coming up, we're going to talk to Derek Bodner, Godner, Mr. Sixers coverage, and find out what is what does he think. Was yesterday a snap-out-of-it game, or is this team in some trouble? Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. <sighs>